This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're asking if we make the cut in episode number 134. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. It is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. And today we are here to talk about a topic that I think really, really needs to be talked about and talked about quite frankly. So what we're talking about today is cesarean section. Obviously, if you've checked out my site or listened to my podcast, you know that I'm a pretty big proponent of natural birth. I feel that natural birth is important for many reasons and that there are many things that we're just beginning to understand. For example, the hormonal flow of birth and how that influences early mothering. If you're interested in more on that, listen to my interview with Dr. Sarah Buckley. However, I I feel like sometimes people look at individuals like me who are very passionate about natural birth and say, oh, You know, she's just one of those weird hippie people (laughs) who likes natural birth. You know, she's just crazy because she had all her babies naturally. And and now she wants us to have our babies naturally and because she's just nuts. And really, this is just some weird fringe thing. And that's, that's not the case. There are a lot of reasons, again, that I'm in support of natural birth. And... As I've been doing reading and studying for my own education, my own continuing education, I'm also a student midwife, uh, and I take the academic portion of of my education really seriously. Because one of the reasons is because I love to learn, uh, but I also like to be informed because I'm teaching childbirth classes. I'm a student midwife, so I, I go to births and. I answer questions for people via email. I I do this podcast, which we don't always talk only about birth, but we talk about birth quite a bit. That's why it's called the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. And it's just really important for me to, to be informed. And so in the course of my own continuing education, I've been reading a lot about cesarean sections. And there's this feeling that you don't want to have too many cesarean sections. Like most of us, when the C-section rate hit 25%, we're like, whoa. And now it's getting even higher to where one in three women will give birth by cesarean. And it's, it's kind of like, whoa, that's just, that's just too many. But when you talk about it in the obstetric world, there's almost this sense that we're making a mountain out of a molehill that if we weren't riding so high on our natural birth high horse, that this really wouldn't be a big deal. In fact, there have been people who advocate basically for prophylactic C-sections that essentially every woman should give birth by cesarean. And forgive me, I I can't sound unbiased when I say this. Uh, One of the things that I want to teach people on my podcast is that nobody is ever unbiased, (laughs) because nobody is. Um, But I do try and, you know, present both sides, even while revealing my bias. Uh, But actually, in this podcast, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm not really going to present the other side, because you can probably drive downtown and knock on the door of any obstetrician in town and Ask them why 
they should have a cesarean rate that's 33-plus percent, in some hospitals, 50-plus percent. And I guess they'll tell you all the arguments. So anyways, I just I, I guess I sound perplexed when I talk about a C-section rate that's that high or, or people claiming that a C-section rate that's that high um, might possibly be a good thing or that prophylactic cesarean where we're operating on every mother could could be a good thing. I, I don't know if y'all, I think you do know the statistics because I, I actually mentioned it on the last podcast episode, but a, approximately 4 million women give birth every year in the United States alone. So let's start actually there because this is a good place to start. So a cesarean section um, isn't like a little scrape on the playground. It's it's not like a small thing. In, in fact, I actually really struggle to, because I'm, I'm sitting here going through my brain and saying, what's a minor surgical procedure? You know, I guess something outpatient that we might think of as a minor surgical procedure. A cesarean section is not that. Okay, we're, we're not talking about going in and having a mole removed. There we go. We're not talking about going in and having a wart removed. Uh, we're not even talking about, I guess, I know most guys who go in for a vasectomy today, it's like, it's an outpatient procedure. So there's another one that causes a little bit of discomfort and has major effects. But, you know, it's just, it's a minor thing. A cesarean section is not that. A C-section is not a minor thing. It is a major surgery. So if somebody argues for prophylactic C-sections, they're literally arguing that 4 million women every year should go through a massive, massive abdominal surgery. For what reason? I mean, prophylactically means pre- preventatively, if y'all, if y'all don't know what that term means. It's kind of a weird term. But it means, it basically means this is, <coughs> excuse me, y'all, I'm still getting over a little bit of a cold here. But it means that, uh, that we're going to prevent something. And and I, I think that the theory, there's there's most, most of the theory is on the baby's side, that we're going to prevent damage to the baby. And there's an itty-bitty-bitty bit of theory on the maternal side, the mom's side, which has pretty much been debunked. But we could talk about this in another podcast episode if y'all are interested, which is um, that it protects the mom's pelvic floor. Though actually research is kind of showing to the contrary. And again, we can do another podcast episode on that. But so basically, the theory is here that um, that we're we're I don't want to say super inflammatory things. I'm, you know, I'm sensitive to the fact that that many of you listening have probably had a cesarean birth. Um, but I I do feel like at some some point it's it's important to be blunt. And so when we say we're going to cut through layers of the mother in order to extract the baby for the baby's well-being. And we should do that for all babies. That's a big thing. Or even, and I know that that's, you know, that's kind of a fringe position, though I think more people hold that opinion than I would be comfortable with. But even if we say for 50% of babies or for 30% of babies, we're going to cut through layers of the mother's skin and muscle and into her uterus and, and take the baby out and then take the uterus out and sew it back up and then tuck it back in and then sew all of her layers back up. 
That's what a cesarean section is. And are, can can we, should we really say, should we stop and think? Should somebody just lay it out there clearly? Um, and if you listen to like an obstetrician talk about it, a cesarean is not like a neat, clean little snip snip, like a vasectomy or a, or a little scrape here or a little, you know, burning it off there, freezing it off there, like a wart removal or a mole removal or something is. It's it's a major deal where you are cutting into a person and there's blood and amniotic fluid and all kinds of stuff everywhere. I mean, one of the things, I find this really interesting too, like there's this huge fear of, of bleeding during birth and that fear is pretty much associated, I think, with vaginal birth, like a, a woman's going to hemorrhage after birth. Um, but the normal bleeding for a vaginal birth is, you know, around 400 to 500 cc's, so a couple of cups maybe, which sounds like a lot, but um, but a, a healthy pregnant woman who's eaten well, please eat well, ladies, has a little over two quarts extra blood on board, number one. Um, so, you know, she's not losing all that much, but, and so, but to us, that's like, whoa, that's a lot of blood. But in, during a C-section, a thousand cc's is considered a normal blood loss. So double that of a vaginal birth. And yet people don't bat an eye or even assume that it's safer. Um, and again, I think a lot of people assume that it's safer for the baby, maybe not so much safer for the mom. But I, I do think a lot of people consider it routine for the mom. And the reason why I want to discuss this so much is is really and truly because of what I feel is a danger in primary cesarean. So a primary cesarean, a first-time cesarean is what that means. Primary cesarean. And, and for most moms, it's it happens with the first baby, though there are some women. and I th But I think... If it's happening with another baby, I do have Phoenix here, y'all, so you can hear his comments, too. Um, I think that many women who have a cesarean for a subsequent baby, there's, you know, they, they are more likely, it's more likely to have a true purpose. I hate to say it that way, but it, but it it is honest. There's more likely to be a true purpose than with a first-time mom, though sometimes... Even moms who are on subsequent pregnancies, they look back and they go, you know, what what was really the purpose of all of that? But we need to look at a cesarean because a primary cesarean, a first cesarean is, uh, I mean, it's a major surgery and there are risks, but most people think, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to come out okay. But when we look at at the effects of that surgery on a woman's later life, on the babies that she's going to have in the years to come. That's something that we really need to look at. So, and again, this is this is even talking about the baby. So, we say you have a C-section with your first baby, and um, we'll say that the reason was good. You know, there was really a justifiable reason. But what most people don't consider is that, how does that impact the risks of future pregnancies? the risks for the mom are increased and also the risks of a bad outcome for the baby are increased. 
Uh, if, if you read, like, for example, or if you were a fly on the wall, which hopefully there's not one there, but if you were a fly on the wall in an operating theater for a cesarean section and an obstetrician is doing a scheduled cesarean, you know, a scheduled second cesarean, a scheduled third cesarean, but even a second one, the OB is, is having to work through layers of scar tissue and adhesions, which is where tissues have connected together even when they weren't supposed to because that's just part of the healing process to try and get through to the baby and try and get the baby out. And that scar tissue network just becomes more and more involved with each pregnancy. It's just, it's really important to consider these things and to consider the fact that the impact isn't just on this pregnancy. It isn't just on this baby. And many women who are having their first cesarean are first-time moms who may want to have another baby. And especially, particularly in the United States where the VBAC climate, vaginal birth after cesarean, is quite hostile, that mom may really feel that she has no options except to have another cesarean surgery. And the risks grow with each surgery. And that's something that you need to know. It's something that you need to understand. Uh, and it's something that I think makes the case for basically trying to prevent the primary cesarean, trying to prevent the first cesarean. So let's talk some about what what things may be more likely for a mom who's had a cesarean birth versus a vaginal birth. So one thing is is maternal death. Um, it's interesting. I've, I was looking at a graphic that was created. I don't remember who created the graphic, but Dr. Rick Zafriz is the one who shared it, and she has a credit on it in case you find it on Facebook, or I can try and find it and link to it in the show notes. Um, but her graphic was about breech babies, which, as many of you probably know, breech babies are pretty much routinely sectioned. That's the way that they say it in the lingo. Those moms routinely undergo a C-section because vaginal breech birth is, um, you know, is uh, is a lesser thing today. The skills are really kind of gone, and many providers aren't willing to do it. I'm hoping to do a podcast episode on that topic. But anyway, so in she was she was sharing this graphic that somebody had created and, and having this discussion um, that there was a, a study that had been done in Europe and 8000 some moms underwent a cesarean for a breech baby and the estimation was that 19 babies were saved but then we looked at the other side like following up on these women and it's been a pretty long term study it was a well designed study uh, and we found that there were a number of babies. I'm not looking at the graphic right now, but I want to say there were nine babies in subsequent pregnancies uh, who were lost due to complications of the original C-section, and also there were four maternal deaths. So four moms were lost. Um, so we, and that's because there is greater risk, and that's kind of where I was going with this, there's greater risk of maternal death with a C-section. Um, you know, we don't know exactly how many versus a mom that might die of a vaginal birth, but we know for the mother, overall, there are certainly greater risks, including a higher risk of death. Um, there's also evidence that suggests that uh, cardiac arrest is more likely, 
there's a higher risk of a hysterectomy, small to moderate increase in risk, a small to moderate increase in risk um, from blood clots. Blood clots seem to be definitely something that can be a problem for women after childbirth. Uh, it's one of the things that care providers really want to watch for because a blood clot that forms and then uh, gets free can get into the lungs and cause problems with, with breathing. So that seems to be more likely after a cesarean. And there, there are steps that they take, like those little pressure cuffs. Then I think they put those even on some women who are having vaginal births who are stuck in bed. Um, they bother me because they make me think about when my mom was in the ICU after a stroke. Uh, and I don't think of pregnant women as, you know, needing to be in an ICU like a stroke patient. But... You know, the, those those are measures in place to help prevent blood clots and things like that. So we can do stuff to prevent, but the fact is that there's a greater risk. There's also um, complications that can come with anesthesia. More, there is a, a moderate increase in risk for anesthesia complications over women who are having a vaginal birth. There's also a moderate to large increase in, in risk of uh, having a major infection, which makes a lot of sense because, again, we're talking about a wound being opened in the body. And even when we think about a hospital environment, which is supposed to be sterile and all of that, we're still talking about a wound. <coughs> Another uh, childbirth complications, kind of in a, a similar thing to, to a blood clot, is amniotic embolism. Uh, so am amniotic fluid embolism, if you don't know what that is, again, it's very rare, uh, but it's where amniotic fluid ends up typically in the bloodstream uh, and it gets it gets to the heart and uh, and it can be life threatening. It often is life threatening to a woman. I would say actually it is life threatening to a woman. It's not always she won't always die, but there's a good chance of it. So that's another one. Uh, and it can happen to a woman after a vaginal birth, but it's more likely to happen uh, after a cesarean section. Um, many, many women who have a cesarean section have hematomas, which is basically a pooling of blood internally uh, or within the skin, contained by the skin. It's in a body cavity that's not supposed to have blood. But a large number of women will have that happen after a cesarean versus women who have, uh, who have a vaginal birth. Um, obviously, most of us know that women who have a C-section are going to be in the hospital for longer. Um, and a moderate to large number of women will require readmission to the hospital after a cesarean. Another thing that's really interesting this goes to what i said about the pelvic floor um a very a very greatly increased chance of hemorrhoids uh after a cesarean section which is interesting because you would think well i didn't push the baby out so why would i have that but it does happen and then also the physical recovery is often much more difficult for women who have had a c-section versus somebody who's had a vaginal birth. So with a cesarean, sometimes you think, well, it's going to be quick and it's going to be over and I'm going to not feel anything because of the medications. 
whereas with a vaginal birth, you know, she might be in labor for quite a long time. Um, and then she's got to push the baby out. But the thing is, is after a vaginal birth, um, most women recover quite quickly with a cesarean. It can take a long time. And also another thing that we don't really know the numbers for, but another thing that can be more likely is chronic pelvic pain after a woman's had a cesarean section. And again, we have to wonder, you know, why, why does that happen? Because, well, she didn't push the baby out, but it is something that happens. So it's something that we need to take in, into consideration that we really need to think about. We also know that babies who are born via cesarean section, there's a higher rate of neonatal mortality. They're more likely to die um, in the first year than babies who are born vaginally, which is, that one really is very interesting to look at when we think about the fact that C-sections are usually done because we feel like we're saving the baby from something. Then, and I guess you could ask a chicken and an egg question here if you wanted to be well-rounded. Well, did that baby need a C-section because that baby was more fragile, therefore that baby is more likely to die? And we could argue that. Uh, but you could also ask, is that baby um, now more fragile because of the cesarean? What impact did the cesarean have? And I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I work with a lot of moms and... I've worked with moms who have needed a C-section. I'm sure I'll work with moms who need a C-section in the future. Um, and I myself was born via C-section, so I definitely don't think really that, uh, you know, it doesn't have any impact on my quality of life that I can really remember. I, I do sometimes wonder if all the digestive stuff that I have had go on that thankfully now has mostly healed but was a real problem for much of my life. Um, you know, is that because I didn't get that good gut flora? And I also think about my mom and wonder, you know, would she have been a more confident mom? I think it, it would have been good for her to have good natural births. But, and I feel like, you know, she was, she was confident, like, with parenting m me and my brother. But, you know, sometimes just confident, her own self-esteem. I think it would have, would have been positively impacted by a really great hear me roar I'm a mama tiger birth anyways that's just I think I think that all women you know I, I think we often end up with what we're supposed to have but uh, as I said in the last episode where I got a bit impassioned I believe that a, a, a powerful birth experience is is a huge boost to so many women anyways so with babies um, we know, you probably know this, C-section babies are more likely to have respiratory distress. They're more likely to need to go to the NICU. That one, again, we could argue the chicken and the egg question. Are they more likely to need to go to the NICU because they were compromised in some way in utero and needed to be born by C-section? We could argue that, but I think that there's d d direct evidence that there are physiological reasons why babies have more respiratory distress after C-section because they're they're just not going through the physiological process that they're supposed to to help get the lungs clear, to get the fluid out, um, and to be, you know, to be healthy and, and ready to to engage with life in that way. Um, <coughs> I, I do think, and I want to say here, and I hope this is apparent to everybody, I feel like I'm constantly giving qualifiers whenever I talk about this. Um, because there are times when a baby really is in distress and a C-section really is 
life-saving. And that baby is likely a baby who was compromised in utero and is more likely uh, or, you know, is going to need the NICU. That that happens. It just doesn't need to happen 33, 50, 67% of the time. We don't have that many women who don't work right. And we don't have that many babies who are born in distress. It just doesn't happen. Uh, it's more likely that uh, that babies born via cesarean will have pulmonary hypertension. And we also know that breastfeeding rates are impacted by cesarean section. Looking at things like uh, family-centered cesarean, where we're getting baby skin to skin right away, where baby goes right to the recovery room with mom, those situations are probably going to help a lot with breastfeeding success rates, but it's still uh, innovative. That's, you know, that's still an innovative thing for C-section moms and babies. It's not the norm yet, at least not in the United States. And I think until it becomes the norm, we're going to see the breastfeeding rate impacted by this. And then we're talking about lifelong impact for both mom and baby by a breastfeeding relationship that doesn't get off to a good start. We know also that childhood chronic disease risks are increased for babies born via cesarean section. Asthma, there's a greater risk of type 1 diabetes. Um, there's a greater risk of allergies, uh, including seasonal allergies, food allergies. Uh, and also there's there's a large risk of obesity for babies born of cesarean born via cesarean section. Again, you could argue a chicken and egg there that well a big baby is more likely to need to be born via cesarean, but I actually think that uh, most big babies could be born vaginally. And I think that the answer to big babies is is not cesarean. It's to help moms understand how to eat right. And that's not to follow typical obstetric guidelines. I'm actually really excited. Um, I've got an interview coming up in the podcast. It'll be a few weeks from this episode. But with Lily Nichols, I've already in interviewed her once for her book, um, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. She's got a new book coming out, and, and we talk about that book in that interview. And it's just, I can say it's about eating, and it's about eating well during pregnancy, and it's definitely evidence-based. Definitely, uh, it's definitely a book that I'm going to be recommending. So uh, if you want to know how to eat to grow a healthy baby, you need to listen to uh, to, to Lily's advice to a good, knowledgeable dietitian like her and not to the standard medical advice or standard pregnancy magazine advice about nutrition. Uh, but anyways, you know, so but I believe that following <coughs> good diet advice like Lily's will lead to babies who are who are healthy and robust and of a good birth weight, but but not really big. Cesareans are cesarean section is not is not the answer. Um, so there are other complications that can happen um, due to a cesarean. Uh, there can be operative injury on mom, um, also operative injury on baby. I'm actually shocked by the number of women that I hear tell me that their babies were cut during a cesarean. I guess I would never have really considered that that would happen, but apparently it does, and it's somewhat common. So that's that's bothersome. 
Um, Reoperation may be a concern, so they have to go back in basically and fix something. Persistent pain, um, evidence suggests that large to very large numbers of women still experience pain at their incision site even months after the cesarean, six, ten months after. Um, Endometriosis can be an issue around a cesarean scar. Um, Ectopic pregnancy rates are increased and also uh, placental problems. And this is something that's really big to consider if you're if you're thinking about having another baby and also I haven't completely made up my mind on this but I think that it it may be prudent for moms who are planning a VBAC to opt for an ultrasound to see where the placenta is in relation to a previous cesarean scar. Again, I want to really delve into the research on it uh, before I come to a conclusion, but right now I at least lean to toward it's good to know. And I also lean towards really limited ultrasound during pregnancy, but I feel like that's an indication that's something that ultrasound can provide us with that peace of mind to know that the placenta and the scar, um, you know, the, the placenta isn't growing into the scar, which would be accretia. <clears throat> so you don't, you know, you don't want anything like that happening. And it's good to know, especially if you're considering a vaginal birth, so that you know what the placenta is going to be doing once baby's born, because you don't want it hanging out on that scar and having a hard time coming out. Um, and I'm not saying actually that I think that if that was the case, like if you found out that there was some placenta accretia, that you should necessarily book a repeat cesarean. But it, it may be a reason to consider where you give birth so that you know that the support is there if the placenta does decide to um, to be resistant to coming because of, of that entanglement with the scar. And again, I already mentioned this, but uh, Childbirth Connections, which I'm going to link you to this resource afterwards, they do just do a really good job. Uh, they have a, a very consumer-level brochure. I'll also link you to that, what every woman needs to know about cesarean section, um, that it's uh, it gives you a good overview of things to know, and it also gives you a nice page that discusses what happens during a cesarean, which may be really good. One of the reasons why a C-section may be scary is because it's such an unknown. Um, so I think that, you know, knowing what goes on during a cesarean is a good thing for moms to know. If for no other reason, then you take away that fear of the unknown and you can, you know, you can then focus on preparing for birth without that kind of hovering over you. That was helpful for me as a young mom. Um, when I was preparing for my first baby and was worried about a C-section. I had been born by a C-section, and that was a concern of mine. So anyways, that that brochure, I say brochure, it, it's a PDF. I'll link it to you. But it's got some information well summarized. And then I'm also going to link you to the full report, uh, which goes over a lot of these complications and things that I've been discussing and gives details on them. But, I, but what I mentioned a little while ago with the adhesions, I like the way that they write it, dense intra-abdominal adhesions. And evidence suggests that a very large number of women develop dense adhesions after a cesarean delivery. So most women are going to develop that scar tissue that's kind of pulling things together in ways that maybe it's not meant to be pulled together internally. And if you have another baby and want to schedule a repeat cesarean, that's something to consider that they now not only have to go in 
um, and do the cesarean, but they have to go in uh, and deal with all that scar tissue. Um, we know that moms having a cesarean have, uh, there can be emotional effects. So there can be effects on, um, on the mama baby relationship. Perhaps moms are more likely to have postpartum depression. We don't know for sure. I think this, I think actually these risks can be really true for moms who have uh, a vaginal birth with a lot of intervention too. Um, and then again, conflicting reports, but women who have a cesarean may be more likely to have post-traumatic stress disorder. Again, I think that somebody who has a vaginal birth that's particularly traumatic may have that happen as well. Um, but I think usually it's, it's sometimes a physiological birth can be difficult for a woman. Um, but often it's, it's a birth where there's really a lot of, uh, medical intervention and stuff going on with that. So I know I, we're at 30 minutes here and I've, <laughs> I've gone over a lot of these things and it, it doesn't sound really pretty, but I, I want women to be informed. And I feel like today a cesarean section is shopped around as just an alternate form of giving birth. And I totally respect when babies need to be born via cesarean birth. But I also totally respect the right of a woman to know clearly what's going to happen. Everybody's going to tell you, oh, you need to have a C-section for this reason or that reason. But are they going to tell you why you should avoid a C-section? And I think for a lot of care providers, and I don't think we're going to go into this, I really want to just stick to the direct effects of a cesarean and the things that I, that you should consider there. But I do need to tell you that you know, the World Health Organization says a 15% or less cesarean rate, even if we were generous and said like a 20% or less cesarean rate. So if if we have, a, if we want to establish normal as a 20% cesarean rate, and it's currently 33% or 46% or 67%, why are that other, why is that 13% of women um, having a C-section? Why are 20, 40% more women having a C-section than really should be having it. And a lot of it is politics. A lot of it is fear of litigation. You can read quotes from obstetricians who say you don't get sued when you do a C-section because you quote unquote did everything that you were supposed to do. So, you know, fear of litigation, politics, profit. I hate to say it, but profit, a cesarean section makes a lot more money. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy when you, when you look at the life of a midwife who is especially attending home births, but you know, she's, she's often in the, in the middle of the night. We can look at the CDC statistics. The CDC in the United States actually maintains statistics for hospital versus out of hospital births, um, and the timing. So if you look at the page with the timing, I'll see if I can find it for the show notes, but if you look at the page for when most babies are born in the hospital versus when babies are born in out-of-hospital environments, it's basically exclusively, exclusively in the middle of the night for out-of-hospital birth babies. That's when most of them come. And in a hospital, it's during the day. Uh, so why does that happen? Because if the natural process is observed, most babies come in the middle of the night. 
And uh, doctors probably, you know, and another thing is, I think a difference is that doctors take a heavier caseload. So an obstetrician has many more pregnant women in a month than, say, a home birth midwife might. Uh, And we can argue again in another episode about the reasons for that. But, um, but, you know, he doesn't want to be getting up in the middle of the night four or five nights a week to come help a woman have her baby. And especially if he's got to be on call at the hospital one day in in the week, if he induces all his moms or does scheduled c-sections on that day well you know he he doesn't have to be at the hospital the rest of the days and especially since he's probably doing prenatal visits or she is probably doing prenatal visits um you know he doesn't want to have to be running to the hospital to deliver a baby so it's just it's there it's just food for thought okay it's just food for thought these c-sections are not for the majority they're not for because there was a need so with that let's not spend too long on that if y'all want let me know we can do a longer podcast on that but something else that i want to talk about and this is this is i guess really the meat of what i wanted to to bring to your attention i know we're 36 minutes in and i'm just you know i'm just now bringing this to your attention but what are the potential effects of a cesarean for for your future and for future babies? So impaired fertility is definitely a big thing. We already mentioned endometriosis, possible increase of ectopic pregnancy, and just the possibility that it's more likely that you'll experience secondary infertility and also voluntary infertility. More women who undergo cesarean section choose not to have other children than women who have a vaginal birth. Again, we mentioned placenta previa, placenta accretia already. Um, the the risk increase is small, but it's there that that's going to interact with the cesarean scar. Placental abruption is more likely, which is where the placenta comes away from the side of the uterus before it's supposed to. You're more likely to need a hysterectomy later, um, like with your next baby's birth. There's also a moderate risk increase in uterine rupture. Um, there's, you're more likely to need intensive care at your next baby's birth and more likely to need to go back to the hospital again after that. And then here, when we again, when we talk about the babies, and I know we can't really plan what we do for this baby based on an imaginary baby in the future, But especially if we're looking at the fact that a cesarean wasn't really needed, we should weigh this pretty heavily. If a cesarean is not truly needed for this baby and is being done for convenience or for scare tactics or whatever, and there are thoughts of another baby in the future, then we need to consider this. And I and I think we really do need to consider this because accidental pregnancies happen, remarriages happen. It's been really interesting to me to see the number of clients who have older children, even grown children, and who are choosing to have another baby because of a new relationship or uh, they thought that they were done and then they got out of the baby years and realized that their hearts really long for another child. So those sorts of situations happen and I think it's good to keep that in the back of your mind. So potential effects for future babies, there's a greater risk of stillbirth a small to moderate increase in stillbirth for a baby um, coming after a mom has had a cesarean versus a vaginal birth. Also, 
more likelihood or greater likelihood of perinatal or neonatal death, so so just after the baby's born, a greater likelihood of preterm and low birth weight babies, as well as small for gestational age babies, a greater need um, or greater respiratory distress, and a greater chance that they'll have a longer hospital stay. So those are really things that... Um, you know, that are interesting. And again, we can talk about the the flip side if y'all want to talk about that, especially I know pelvic floor things, like I said, are really big. Um, but we know that, for example, if you're worried about sexual dysfunction, a cesarean section doesn't seem to protect against that. Incontinence is another thing that's um, that's thought to be increased, but the reality is, is like in the first year after childbirth, there might be a slight increase, but then after that, there seems to be no difference whatsoever. So in that immediate first year, while things are still healing, if you've had a vaginal birth, you might be more likely to leak when you sneeze or when you laugh or when you jump on a trampoline, which please don't jump on a trampoline for a while after you give birth, no matter which way you do. Um, but then after that, there's really no difference. Women who have a vaginal birth do seem to have um, a greater percentage of pelvic organ prolapses. I think the solution to that is not prophylactic cesareans. I think the solution to that is an understanding of the female pelvic floor and how to work on that, which is something that our very man-oriented obstetric community, uh, OBGYN community, gynecological community has basically ignored so women, what we really need to do is not sign up for prophylactic cesareans. It's it's basically take back our pelvises, <laughs> take back our pelvic floors, and realize what ladies really need. And again, we can do an episode on that, and I can share some resources and stuff. Um, but yeah, but, but basically, when we look at the long laundry list of things that a cesarean uh, complications that a cesarean can introduce and especially I feel like it's especially important because when we think when we talk about a c-section it's all about this baby this baby this baby this baby very occasionally about the mom but it's about the baby um, but we should probably ask is this really an emergency is this really a needed procedure especially if there's any chance that there may be babies in the future because a cesarean is taking a greater gamble with your life and with a future baby's life. And if it's really necessary, of course, that's a gamble that any mom is going to take. But if it's not, it's not. And one of the things that I think is really important, and one of the reasons why I'm talking about this to you, is because as a woman, when, you know, when you are when you are challenged with making a decision, you are going to take your baby into consideration. A great book to read, I will actually link to this book in the show notes, is Pushed. Um, I can't remember the subtitle right now. I'm trying to look and see if I can find it really quickly for you. Uh, Pushed, The Painful Truth About Childbirth and Modern Maternity Care is a great book. Um, really, really interesting reading, uh, on, and, and it does a great job of examining all sides of things, but really eye-opening, really eye-opening. I actually am thinking that it should be required reading, but, um, 
but Block, the author, she this is how she closes the book, and and I think it's just so important to think about. Um, she's actually quoting somebody else at the beginning of this. So uh, the goal is to have a healthy baby, and then she quotes Leon. This phrase is used over and over again to shut down women's requests. Leon says, the context needs to be that the goal is a healthy mom. Because mothers never make decisions without thinking about that healthy baby. And to suggest otherwise is insulting and degrading. What's best for women is what's best for babies. And that last sentence was um, was Block's sentence. So again, it's... I think that's, you know, to suggest that that moms are making decisions for selfish reasons is insulting and degrading. You are thinking about what's best for your baby in everything. And if one truly believes that what's best for her baby is a cesarean section, then you will have that. But I think, and again, Pushed is a great book to read, but I think that a lot of women are coerced into surgery that they don't really need for factors that have nothing to do with the medical needs of themselves or their baby. And so I just, I really did kind of want to present a laundry list. And like I said, I'll include more resources in the show notes. And especially coming on the heels of the series that I did a, uh, a few epi- episodes ago about the um, VBAC series, it's just really important to realize we aren't avoiding a cesarean because we're weird natural birth hippies. We're avoiding a cesarean because it has very real potential effects for us. Um, Complications of surgery right now, complications for our baby right now, complications for our mother-baby bond and our emotional well-being postpartum, and health complications that may last for years and into future pregnancies. Those things really, really, really need to be considered before that first cut is ever made. So I hope that I've empowered you, given you some information. Again, I'll link to all these resources below so you can explore more as you make care decisions for yourself and for your baby. Blessings to you, and I will talk to you soon. Remember, you can also get personalized support from me as well as a full, complete online childbirth education at mamababybirthing.com. That's M-A-M-A-babybirthing.com. My online childbirth course, I'll help you prepare for a natural birth. We'll talk about all the interventions that you may face. We'll talk about where you can choose to have your baby, how you can prepare, how you can handle the pain of labor. And again, there's a weekly call. Every week you come, I'm there live. You can ask me any and every question you have, and I'm happy to to support you and I'll be really happy to get your birth story after you have your baby. Again, you can check that out at mamababybirthing.com, M-A-M-A, babybirthing.com. I would love to see you on the call this week and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.